Hi everyone. Welcome to the Desi Crime Podcast. I'm Ashwarya, your host for this episode. And I'm Aryan. Before we start the case for today, we want all of you to go over to our Patreon and subscribe for amazing exclusive features like merch, awesome extra episodes, early access episodes, video calls with us and more. To help the podcast out and to avail these benefits, go to www.patreon.com/desicrime and select a tier that works best for you. We also want to thank our newest patrons, Deepthi Vijay Kumar, Mia and Shreya Dalal for helping us run this podcast. Your contributions mean the world to us. The case that we have for you today is one that India took a long time to make peace with. With the heinous nature of the murder, the gory details of the crime all recorded on videotape by the authorities for the first time in the Indian judicial system and the incredibly high profile lives of the people involved this case shook the country this is the story of the granddaughter of the diwan of mysore whose glorious life came to a crashing end in a way that can only be described as people's worst nightmare this is the story of shakire khalili So listeners the following are text messages i received from ashwara right before we recorded this episode and i quote hope you're about to get your ass here i've never been more excited to record a case unquote she has she's not stopped talking about how exciting the case is and how how much she's excited for this episode so i think let's dive right into it um from whatever <laughs> little i know about this ashwara this is another one of those high profile royal family murders that our generation of kids just haven't heard of what what is it with the rich and elite like the case just shows there is so much murder and crime controversy surrounding some of the most influential families in india so many skeletons in their closets whether it be the billionaire tori family shri devi's family hell even the naples royal family and now the divan of mysore so firstly i am incredibly excited about this case i have put more research into this case and more time into this case than i think any of my other episodes in the past this is also going to be one of i think my longest episodes single episodes so i hope you all like it but aran that's a good question i think firstly power corrupts and infinite power corrupts infinitely that saying applies here when murder is easy to commit you don't even have to commit it yourself if you have the right connections when considerations of your status and power outshine any other considerations it almost seems like the price of someone's life begins to pale in comparison in such people's mind 
but also i think if we all dig deep into our extended family histories there's bound to be <laughs> some extended cousin or uncle whose stories would make great episodes for our podcast <clears throat> um you don't even have to dive into my extended family to find a case there are there are in fact two ongoing cases in my family oh my God, involving i think the murder of four or five people one of which was in the news recently again i'm not going to out anybody here because right eventually eventually that case will be i that's one case i want to cover on the podcast actually that would be exciting um, you'll have aryan's family on the episode guys yeah hopefully it's <laughs> in their favor um but enough of my family tell us more about the diwan of mysore who is shakira khalili and what is the story all about so we're taking a different route with this episode we're beginning at the very end in 1991 when saba a 24 year old model working from bombay runs into socialite shakire khalili on a random afternoon on a random market street in delhi it had been years since saba had met shakire 6 years to be precise and maybe 6 years isn't a long time to not meet a long lost friend you know friends drift apart life comes in the way and roots diverge but 6 years is a long time to not meet your own mother Shakire's life choices had pushed her daughters away from her and seeing her daughter Saba like this made her realize on what she had missed out for so many years her daughter's childhoods Shakire wanted contact again she wanted to be involved in their lives she wanted to explain her choices and apologize for her mistakes and Saba understood it was her mother after all she did deeply love her this is how their new relationship began they both wanted to start afresh now after many years of having a terrible relationship with her mother starting to get to know her all over again seemed like fate the mother daughter started meeting and talking all over again clearing the air of the past and mending the trauma one step at a time how old is sab at this point 24 sab was a 24 year old model from bombay hmm. They're now talking multiple times a day, meeting often, watching movies together and doing just regular mother-daughter things that they didn't get to do. Shakire wanted to be there for her daughter. She wanted to support her in her career. Shakire also had three other daughters who she also hadn't spoken to in many years. But Saba was a start. Being able to establish a relationship with one of her daughters got her one step closer to establishing one with all three of her daughters. And Shakire needed them. She was going through something. Life hadn't been fair. It had been rough, and she was left completely alone with no relationship with her parents or her children. Saba was the hope of a better future, and things were finally looking up for the two women's relationship. Until one day, Saba stopped getting her mother's daily calls. When Saba would call, her mom wouldn't pick up. Radio silence. Every time she would call her mom's phone, placed in the living room of their lavish house in Bangalore, her mother's husband would pick up. "Quote, John, your mother has gone to Surat for a wedding." End quote, he said. 5 days later, Saba called again. "Quote, she's left for Hyderabad just a few hours ago." End quote, he said. Where was Shakire? Had she decided to abandon her child and cease mm. contact again out of the blue? or was something wrong but wait who was shakire who was saba 
Who was this man that picks up the phone and tells Sava that her mother is in home? For that, let's go back to the year 1947. You know, deep down Ashwarya, I think you're still a very very you were born a cunning true crime podcaster <laughs> because now you I'm at a cliffhanger wondering where is Shakire and you could have clearly told me that at the ending. So, yep, good I on you. I could have, but I'm good keeping you. you hooked. You yeah. and the audience yeah. hooked. But like I said, to know who Shakire is, who Saba is and who this man is, we have to go back to the year 1947, the year of India's independence, the year that Shakire Khalili was born. Shakire was actually born on the 27th of August of that year, just 12 days after India commemorated its independence from the United Kingdom and the Indian Constituent Assembly took charge. In the context of India's freedom struggle, Khalili's parents and grandparents had managed to create a big name for themselves. Khalili's mother, Gohar Taj Begum, was the youngest daughter of Sir Mirza Ismail, a very prominent statesman who was the Diwan or essentially the Prime Minister of the kingdoms of Mysore, Jaipur, and Hyderabad. Wow. He was regularly described by other Diwans and statesmen as one of the cleverest men in India. Just to clarify for our non-Indian listeners, or just somebody who doesn't happen to know what a divan is, a divan is any government official that emerged out of the Mughal or post-Mughal era. So, if you're a powerful man in the government, divan is like an honorary term used for you. And Sir Mirza Ismail was a very prominent divan. He actually belonged to an aristocratic family in Shiraz in Persia, from where he migrated to India in the late 1880s. In India he gave birth to a beautiful baby daughter Gohar Taj Begum who grew up to give birth to her baby daughter Shakire. On her father's side Shakire was the granddaughter of Muhammad Namazi the Iranian merchant and businessman who started the Namazi hospitals in Iran in India. His son Gulam Hussain Namazi married Gohar Taj and Shakire was their baby girl together. Because of her parents' many business interests like breeding pedigreed horses in philanthropic interests in countries across the world and their work as diplomats, Shakire had a childhood much like that of any military child like myself. She moved around to a new part of India or the world almost every single year, readjusting and remaking friends along the way. She went to school in Singapore when her parents were working there, for example. As the years progressed, Shakire grew up to be a very gorgeous woman. In fact, I remember first seeing pictures of her a while ago when I found this case and I remember showing them to Aryan and telling him how incredibly pretty I thought she was. In the, I agreed. Yeah, she's she's gorgeous. Yeah. In the year 1965, Shakire was now 18 years old. As was customary for more traditional families in India in the 1960s, 18 was a good age to be married. And so Shakire got married. In fact, she got married to her first cousin, Akbar Mirza Khalidi, who was her mother's sister's son. Now, despite popular belief, a marriage of this nature is not common in Islam. In fact, marriage between cousins whose mothers are sisters So from this relationship a paternal standpoint is actually forbidden but by this time Shakire and Akbar had fallen in love he doted after her and she after him the two revealed to their families their intention of getting married and the families eventually accepted Akbar Mirza Khalili was actually an incredibly accomplished and hard working man sources claim he was an outstanding student and sportsman who had completed his schooling from the Bishop Cotton Boys School in Bangalore oh. 
despite being called south india's best up and coming tennis player by some of the biggest names in the sports industry at the time akbar decided to instead go to law school at the loyola college in chennai he continued to play tennis incredibly well at his college and many thought he would make a fantastic professional career as an athlete but akbar shocked friends and family members when he gave up tennis and instead sat for the indian foreign services exam in 1954 and cleared it slowly but surely akbar rose through the ranks in the ifs initially he served with the indian diplomatic mission as the third secretary in baghdad then the second secretary in colombo and then the first secretary in paris but eventually in a big break to his career he was appointed the indian ambassador to iran eventually he served as the indian ambassador to italy and then as the indian high commissioner to australia throughout these postings of his to all of these incredible countries shakire moved with him except during his tenure in iran during the iranian revolution um i think ashwara it would be easier if you listed listed the things he hasn't done right. i think that'd be a shorter <laughs> list Oh my god. <laughs> wow. This man's living that the dream. That is such an impressive list. Good for him. But um that does imply though that Shakire herself couldn't go through with because at this she must be 18 at this point. So did she not complete her education and in general what do we know about Shakire's career? So you're right Aryan she didn't complete her education. Um but she was to inherit crores and crores in assets and gorgeous sprawling properties all over the world. That was obviously a different time to grow up in. She belonged to a generation before our parents even. So it was perfectly normal for a woman of her wealth and status to not complete her education and not work. She did however engage some amount with the philanthropic work that her parents' businesses would do, but that was kind of the extent of it. For Akbar though, this was the life he had dreamed of an incredibly successful career to be married to the woman of his dreams who he loved deeply to be able to travel the world with her while doing the work he loved could life be any better for the two of them yes it could the two gave birth to four gorgeous baby daughters all of whom resemble shakire so much they're all incredibly pretty women <laughs> Their four daughters were Zibunde, Saba, Rihani and Esmat, all of whom born about a year two years apart. Their first daughter was born when Shakire was just 19 and last daughter was born when she was 25. Their first two daughters were born in India, their third daughter born in Paris and fourth born in Jordan. Life somehow became more perfect for the two or so it seemed. There was something going wrong. in their outwardly very happy marriage shakire wanted a son and i want a private jet like nothing is enough to be happy or what she has everything enough. and you still want oh rich people rich people all people <laughs> all people yeah after four daughters though the possibility of giving birth to a son seemed bleak to her she was getting older and her inability to give birth to a boy began to cause rift between the couple By 1983 the couple had moved back to India. It was in 1983 itself that Shakire Akbar and their kids took a trip to Delhi to meet with the erstwhile nawab of Rampur. It was there at the residence of the nawab that Shakire and Akbar met a unique man, Swami Shraddhanand. Swami Shraddhanand was born Murli Manohar Mishra. 
He was a short and stoutly built man on the heavier side and a self-proclaimed god person, which is what had led to the name change, obviously. He was 10 years older than Shakire. At the time, Shraddhanand used to work with urban landing estates and managing properties around India. By this time, Shakire had begun using her free time managing the numerous family properties that she and her siblings were to inherit and needed professional help with those assets. Meeting Shraddhanand was like fate. The Swami soon became her advisor for matters relating to her property and slowly but surely became her confidant. Why do Swamis need to be... Swamis, Gurus, Babas, they're a regular feature of regular these episodes. Regular feature in the Feel like time getting episodes. up and walking out and all that. Because you know things are about to go wrong. Yep. Almost immediately. The, the Baba comes in. The Baba comes in. Yep. Yeah. But they got really close. He became her confidant. She expressed to him her deepest thoughts, including the fact that she really wanted a son deeply. She loved her daughters, yes, but she wanted a son. That same year, in 1983, Akbar moved to Iran for work, but those were the years of the Iranian revolution and Iran was in a state of turmoil. For the first time since their marriage of almost 20 years, Shakira did not move with her husband. Instead, not only did she stay back in India, she had Swami Shraddhanand move into part of her Bangalore residence to live with her. It seems like during this period, a deeper relationship ensued between the Swami and Shakire. Slowly and slowly, Shraddhanand chipped away at Shakire and Akbar's marriage. He convinced her of his occult powers and made her believe that her only chance to ever have a baby boy is to, <laughs> surprise, surprise, have sex with him. Why is that surprising, Ashwara? I'm sure Swami can control whether he chooses XX chromosome or XY or like Y chromosome in a sperm. It's so obvious. Of course he of can. Of course he can. Absolutely. The He's Swami. You add Exactly. I was going to say Come you on, add bro. Swami to your name and there you go. You Superpowers are this activated. Is, this is crazy. But Aryan Shakire believed him. The presence of this new man in her life added with her already existing marital problems led her to make a decision that shocked everyone who knew Shakire. In 1985, when Akbar returned from Iran, Shakire asked him for a divorce. This move, above all, came as a shock to Akbar. In his head, his marriage had problems, yes, but he was in love with his wife. They had children, now who were growing up, who they both loved deeply. But the divorce was done. She didn't want to be with him anymore. Was she in love with Swamiji? Oh, she absolutely was. This was perhaps a bigger mm. shock to everyone, a bigger shock than even the divorce. I don't want to be mean, but Shakire was gorgeous. <laughs> and Swami Shraddhanand, <laughs> well, was not. I but think you're being subtle right now. I'm being very subtle. Yes, yes. The we will probably, exactly. The pictures are available on Ad Desi Crime on Instagram. But, but, looks aren't... The end-all be-all, obviously. <laughs> but even as a person, in his profession, Shraddhanand paled in comparison to Akbar. The police team that investigated Shraddhanand says he was from Sagar in Madhya Pradesh. He dropped out when he reached high school and moved to Delhi where he worked with the royal family in Uttar Pradesh as an errand boy. Later, he evolved into a fixer who would help deal with tax and property matters. Somewhere along the way, he transformed himself into a godman wearing white robes. 
It was at this stage that the Khalilis met him with the UP royal family in Delhi in 1982. He was a high school dropout and had worked as an errand boy and I'm nobody to make a judgment on what this means. Tons of high school dropouts are incredibly intelligent people who contribute greatly to society but that's not what he did. He self-proclaimed himself into a godman wearing robes who convinced a woman to have sex with him by promising her a son and breaking up her marriage. Her own daughters in an interview mentioned wondering what attracted their mother to that man. The author of this interview article in the Rediff special says, quote, "Nobody knows exactly when, how or why Shakire fell in love with Shraddhanand." Her daughter said, quote, "It must have been sexual attraction." End quote. Besides, we hear that she always wanted a son and Shraddhanand told her that he had special powers to help her conceive one. But would a rich, jet-setting socialite really have married a short pudgy uncouth fixer just for his sexual prowess <laughs> however she did really want a son end quote when shakire filed for divorce from akbar the daughters were deeply affected they detested the choice their mother had made not only because she had hurt their father deeply but also because they believed the man she had chosen did not deserve to be with her The girls ceased all contact with their mother with only Sabha keeping occasional contact with Shakire. Then in 1986 Shakire defied all societal norms, religious expectations and familial obligations by marrying Shraddhanand. This is when things began to take a turn for the worse. This is the craziest case you've ever done. In my opinion, yes. This is unbelievable. This is my mind is blown listeners if i if i don't ask a lot of questions on your behalf just remember i am as astounded as you are as this is being recorded and my mind is blown into smithereens i'm just putting that out there if i end up asking something really dumb because this makes no sense ashwara it's only going to get worse Shakire's relationship with her mother slowly took a turn after her divorce with Akbar. Her mother Gohar Taj, who deeply loved her daughter, filed at least 10 cases against Shakire over various pieces of property after her marriage to the Swami. Shraddhanand had slowly begun to transfer Shakire's property to his own name and take charge of her assets. According to friends of the Khalili family, Shraddhanand had earned over rupees 100 million. through selling various bits of her property slowly shakire lost contact with her mother and according to sources it was shraddhanand who had isolated her from her kids and parents he had placed ultimatums on his relationship with her while slowly taking over the property by this time the swami had convinced shakire to execute a strong will and power of attorney in his name making him part and sometimes sole owner of a lot of her assets with a good number of them 600 crores worth of them to be precise to be given over to him in the event that Shakire died ladies um if you want a son i also can choose the y chromosome um but h- how she believed 600 him 600 crores 600 crores just the house they were living in was a few hundred crores it's crazy i don't know i don't know but After 3-4 years into her marriage with Shraddhanand according to the same Rediff special article the relationship between Shraddhanand and Shakire 
reportedly began to break down and multiple reports suggest that their relationship began to take a turn for the worst with multiple neighbors hearing them quarrel and shout all the time. At this point, Shakire began trying to re-establish contact with her daughters to try and mend their relationship. Perhaps she needed support in her life as her second marriage was falling apart around her and she was beginning to realize that she had isolated everyone for this man, now leaving her with no one. But for most of her daughters, the damage was done. The relationship was broken and there was no coming back. Until she met Sabha by chance in Delhi in 1991, who was now 24 years old. The article says Shakire told her that she would like to spend more time with her. When Sabha, who was a successful model by then, returned to Bombay after a modelling assignment overseas, she found Shakire waiting for her. The mother and daughter spent an enchanting month together and Sabha promised to visit her mother in Bangalore. And she kept that promise. She also said that she would try for a rapprochement with the rest of the family and try to mend that relationship. Shakira used to call her a couple of times a day in Bombay. And then, suddenly, the calls stopped. Sava said, quote, When I called her to find out how she was, only Swamiji was there. When I called, he said, John, your mother has gone to Surat to attend a wedding. The next time I called, a few days later, he said she had gone to Hyderabad. A week later, he said she's laying low due to some income tax problems and it went on. Eventually, Sabah grew sick of the stories. Something seemed off. How is her mother never home? Sabah had faith her mother wouldn't disappear on her after they had just started fixing their relationship again. The Swami's stories didn't add up. Sabah called the house phone again and insisted on talking to her mother. This time, what came out of Shraddhanan's mouth shocked Sabah to the core. Sabah said, quote, He told me that my mother was pregnant again. He said she thought that talking to any of us might bring her bad luck, implying that Shakire wanted a son and talking to her daughters would help her not conceive a son. And so we could meet her after she delivered her baby. I rushed to Bangalore to meet her anyway, but she wasn't there. He told me that she was in the Roosevelt Hospital in New York. I used my contacts to find out that she wasn't there. When I confronted him with that information, he immediately acknowledged that he had deliberately misled me at her behest. End quote. He told Sabah that Shakire was in London and wanted time alone to rest and asked that the Swami give Sabah the New York story. But just a few weeks after this conversation, Sabah saw her mother's passport lying in a hotel room in which the Swami was staying. She used to call me two, three times a day. And suddenly, one day, no calls. So I called up. All the while, Mr. Shadhanan Swamiji, as I used to call him, and I refuse to call him now, was around. And he was, you know, you know, saying, yes, yes, your mother's missed you, you must come back. It didn't strike me that my mother was missing. It was a very gradual process. He gave me the name of a New York hospital, and when I tried that hospital and she was not there, I said, Swamiji, you told me this hospital, Roosevelt, or something like that. I said, how come she's not there? So then he was like, oh, I was just playing the fool because, you know, I knew you'll try and contact her, and this rest is so crucial that uh, I didn't want to tell you where she is. She's in London. She's perfectly fine. Then I started seeing his behavior was a little fishy. And then, after nine months, I said, the game is up. If mommy doesn't come and pick me up, that's it. I'm going to the cop station. 
Sabha went over to the Bangalore house multiple times after this to wait for her mother to gather more information on her whereabouts. Surely she'll show up, right? This was her home. And you know, I'm thinking, is this Sabha chick dumb for not reporting this to the police immediately? And as this thought came in my, I'm not saying I believe that, but as this thought came to me, you must realize, I think, that their mother actually made the most irrational move by leaving such a loving husband for this Swami. So I don't think Sabha is completely in disbelief that her mother couldn't have pulled off something like this again. Right. As and yeah, so it makes sense that, you know, I mean, I, I feel like judging Sabha for not immediately reporting this to right. the police. But I'm guessing if I was in her shoes, thank God I'm not maybe I just would have believed my mom has gone crazy again. Yeah, yeah, that she's just disappeared. She's pulled the same story all over mm. again. So it took Sabha some time to come to peace with the fact that she actually simply couldn't get in touch with her mother and her mother wasn't coming back home. This was her home. She simply wasn't there. And the stories didn't add up, like she being in London with the passport being in India. Something was wrong. Eventually, obviously, Saba would go back to her life and time would pass. A year passed, in fact. And there was no sign of Shakire. I have a question. Yeah. At this point, what is the daughter's relationship like with the husband, with their dad, um, Shakire's husband, ex-husband? And did Shakire and her ex-husband ever talk about, talk to each other after the divorce? Do you know anything about that? Shakire and her husband were not in contact. All the girls had chosen to live with their father mm-hmm. when Shakire had chosen to be with the Swami. Okay. So they were still, they had a great relationship okay. with their father. Um, and they were all in contact. She, Shakire, was the one that was isolated from the equation. She wasn't talking to her husband, not talking to her parents, not talking to her kids. And Saba was kind of her only insight gotcha. into her family. But a year passed and there was no sign of Shakire. But Saba wasn't done. In 1992, Saba returned to the Bangalore home to leave her mother a gift. A beautiful pale yellow chiffon sari embroidered with sequins. As she was leaving her mother this gift, she realized a great number of Shakire's very expensive silk saris were missing from her wardrobe. While Shakire remained missing and the Swami kept piling on one explanation over another, he hosted lavish parties in Shakire's house. He would decorate their enormous backyard with lights and music would blare from the big speakers as guests drank and ate and celebrated. The guests would come, ask how Shakire was doing and the Swami would offer a response and for the rest of the night, Shakire was forgotten. Also, dancing. There was a lot of dancing at those parties. The guests would turn the backyard into a venue of its own. The women would take their heels off, grab their partners and dance the night off on the ground of the backyard. The Swami's expenditures were through the roof and it seemed like he had the money to spare. But everyone knew where the money to throw these parties came from. It was Shakire's. It was her inheritance. In fact, the very ground on which these parties were hosted, the hours and hours of dancing that ensued, the Bangalore house, house number 81 on Richmond Road, also belonged to Shakire. The house had been passed down from generations of the Divan family of Mysore to Shakire, but the house hadn't seen Shakire in a while. 
By now, Sabha was growing increasingly more suspicious of the Swami. She started coming to the house more. She started going and attending events where the Swami was going to be performing. She was grasping at straws trying to find her mother. She ended up going to a wedding where Shraddhanand was to perform. And at that wedding, she saw something that made her jaw drop. In the crowd in the wedding, she saw a woman... A woman beautifully dressed in what was once her mother's sari. In August of 1992, Sabha went to Bangalore again to leave her mother gifts for her birthday. She left two saris and a birthday card with the Swami. When she visited again a few months later, one of those saris was hanging in the wardrobe, looking like it had been worn, a little rough around the edges, and the birthday card was on display on the dresser. Sabha said, quote, Swamiji said that he had given the package to my mother, who was in London, but had brought back the card with him because he liked the sentiments in them so much. She had used one of the two saris and sent it back, and was still wearing the other one. End quote. It had now been a year since Sabha hadn't heard from or seen her mother. Neither had any other family member or friends. This was it for Sabha. She contacted the Ashoknagar police station and registered a written complaint about her mother's disappearance. The police, initially making no attempts to find Shakire due to the influence that the Swami wielded, eventually began an investigation. On account of everything that Sabha had told the cops, the cops arrested the Swami, who filed for bail, but made a written promise to show up at the police station every Monday for three months. On those Mondays, the police doubled down on Shraddhanand and grilled him for details on where his wife was. He started off by giving the same stories he had given to Sabha for almost a year now. But those stories had faults in them, faults he simply couldn't explain his way out of. The story shifted and changed until there was no way out anymore. And finally, Shraddhanand broke. The words that left his mouth shook the officers and suddenly the Kaliri family's world came crashing down in front of them. Quote, If I am taken, I will show the place where the wooden box was prepared and the person who prepared it and the person who transported the box and the people who helped in digging out the pit and the crowbar, and the spade, and the pan used for digging the pit, the cement bags, and the spot where Shakire is buried. I will exhume her dead body and show you. The statements that I had earlier made at the Ashoknagar police station were false, given intentionally by me just to escape. End quote. He had buried her. Somewhere in the city of Bangalore, someone's daughter, someone's mother, the love of someone's life lay dead and buried. But where, the cops still didn't know. The Swami said he'll take them to the location himself. The cops quickly filed for approval of the exhumation with the executive magistrate of the city who approved it and ordered a doctor to oversee the process. As the cops sat in the car with the godman, he started giving them directions to where the body was. Very quickly, the cops realized where he was taking them and they couldn't believe their eyes. They stopped their car right in front of the gate of the gorgeous house number 81 on Richmond Road. 
he had buried her in her own house. He walked the corpse inside the gorgeous bungalow that belonged to the woman that lay somewhere under it. He took them through the house, out the back door, to the backyard. If right at this moment you're not having flashbacks of the dancing and the partying and the music and the celebration that took place on those grounds of this backyard, I have failed to narrate this case right. He was handed a piece of chalk to mark where the body was. He stands on the ground of the backyard and marks smack dab in the middle. The labourers start digging with spades and a minute into digging, the metal starts making noise. Clank, clank, clank. The spade was hitting something. From within the ground emerges a 2 by 7 by 2 wooden box, one that looked kind of like a casket. Shraddhanand had got this rectangular pit several feet deep, dug in the courtyard by casual labour, saying that it was for a water tank. The long wooden box in the spit he had gotten made by saying it was meant to hold some furniture that he wished to export. The plank of the lid of the wooden box was removed and an almost fully decomposed body of which only the bones and hair remained was revealed laying on top of a bed mattress. A night tie, a pillow and bed sheets were also inside the box. The sight of the body made everyone's heart drop, not just because it was a dead body, but because one of Shakire's hand was clutching the mattress below. On seeing that, the officers inspected the inside of the box more closely and found scratches all along mm. the side. I, I don't even want to ask the question, but does that mean she was buried alive? The hand clutching the mattress, the scratches, all indicate that she hadn't died when she no. was buried. She had merely fainted. But since the body had decomposed to such a large degree, it was hard to determine the exact cause of her death. The drugs in her bloodstream had obviously vanished, so their exact concentration and effect on her organs was impossible to find. If the hand clutching and scratches do indicate that she was buried alive, she died a Horrible, horrible death. It's a nightmare of claustrophobia. So many people's absolute nightmare to be buried alive. Me included. It's My literally mom included. A it's, it's, no, it's not. When I say nightmare, it's not because it's scary. Because it's literally a nightmare, a nightmare yeah. for millions of people being buried alive. That's so scary. So scary. And I actually looked this up. And if you're buried in a coffin and remain perfectly calm... You survive for up to five hours. I assume it's impossible to remain perfectly calm, but she would have likely spent somewhere close to five hours inside that box, trying to figure out firstly where she is, why she can't see, and how she's going to get out. She would have screamed for help and eventually suffocated once the oxygen would have run out. Dr. Nisar Ahmed, the man in charge of the exhumation, removed the scalp, skull and hair of the head, which were detached from the skull and other bone pieces. He joined the bones, fixed the skull and the jaw in order to confirm that it was indeed human remains, and it was. 
the entire exhumation process was recorded on video for the first time in the history of the Indian judicial system as evidence to be submitted to the court and to the forensic department. This is where it began. Shakira's mother, Gohar Taj, was called to identify the body as that of her daughter, and she did. It was her child. She identified a ring which was embedded with a red ruby and two other black rings as belonging to Shakire. The night tie, which was also inside the box, was also identified to be Shakire's. It was what she was wearing the day she was killed. On the 25th of May 1991, Shraddhanand got tea made for himself and Shakire early in the morning. When the tea was ready, he went to pick it up from the kitchen. In her tea, he added a heavy dose of sleeping tablets made in England and purchased by him through a shop in Madras. After she went to sleep, he assumed she was dead. He dragged the mattress on which she lay through a hole in the wall and pushed it onto the long box, which had already been placed in the trench. The once thin Shakire had apparently gained a significant amount of weight recently and the cops ruled that he couldn't have possibly carried her alone. For this reason, half a dozen domestic workers and others that have helped around the house were lined up by the police as accomplices in the murder. He shoveled some mud over the box and next day told the casual labourers that he had changed his mind about the water tank and asked them to cover the hole up. Shakire's teeth and hair were used against her mother's and father's blood to reveal that it was indeed her body. This was also the first time in the history of Indian forensic sciences that DNA analysis was used to determine the identity of a victim. A common practice we now take for granted and watch in movies and TV shows all the time was far from common when Shakire's body was found, but it helped identify her decomposed body beyond a doubt. It helped give the family closure once and for all. Their daughter, mother, ex-wife was gone and she wasn't coming back. She wasn't ever going to pick up Sabah's call ever again. The case was first brought to trial in late 1997. That is six years after her six body. Six years was after her body was found. On the 21st of May 2005, the civil and sessions judge sentenced the Swami to capital punishment by hanging. Reports suggest Shradhanan expressed no emotion as he stood in the dock, his head drooping. Quote. From the facts and circumstances of the case, it is clear that the said murder has created such a fear in the minds of the family and in the community to be able to live peacefully in society. There are no mitigating circumstances or factors to award a lesser punishment. Having regard to the nature of the methodology in committing the murder for gain, it is a fit case for capital punishment, read the order. However, Judge directed the jail authorities not to execute the death sentence until they received confirmation from the High Court. In the High Court, on the 12th of September 2005, a two-judge bench confirmed the death penalty to Shraddhanand. Terming it the rarest of the rare cases in their order, the division bench said, quote, The accused had murdered his wife in a diabolical and a well-planned scheme. As such, the death penalty imposed on him is liable to be confirmed. 
anything less than a penalty of greater severity for any serious crime is thought to be a measure of tolerance that is unwarranted and unwise. The Sessions Court is justified in awarding death penalty to the accused. End quote. That was 2005. Murli Manohar Mishra is still alive. He is 84 years old now. He's serving his imprisonment till death sentence in the elderly person section of a jail in the Sagar district of Madhya Pradesh. The only person who's visited him in prison is his brother, who visited him just once, three years ago. He's been in jail for 27 years now. In August of 2021, Mishra asked for a presidential pardon on account of good behaviour. There has been no response to that plea. He now spends his time teaching religious and spiritual scriptures to the other inmates, waiting for his time at the noose. But he's still alive. Shakire is not. She would have turned 75 this year. She would have seen her daughter succeed, get married, have children of their own. But her life was stolen from her when she was just 44 years old, as old as the mothers of almost anyone my age. I want to end this episode on what is one of my most favourite quotes from my most favourite book, The Kite Runner. Quote, There is only one sin, only one, and that is theft. Every other sin is a variation of theft. When you kill a man, you steal a life. You steal his wife's right to a husband, rob his children of a father. When you tell a lie, you steal someone's right to the truth. When you cheat, you steal the right to fairness. There is no act more wretched than stealing. End quote. And from Shakire, her own husband had stolen. <laughs> 